I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Thanks for tuning in to API Intersection again. Today, we're here with Michael Haibe. I didn't screw up your name, hopefully, who is uh, currently a senior engineering manager at Capital One. Mike's also done a variety of other roles, all kind of revolving around the API topic. So obviously, you're in a welcome company here. Adam Duvander, our co-host yet again. Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then, Michael, you can fill us in uh, on whatever I missed there. Yeah, good to see you both. Uh, Adam Duvander and I work at Every Developer, where we work with API companies to engage developers around the topics that uh, <laughs> that they care about, and a lot of the ones that I think we're going to talk about here today with around API design and and yeah, some of the things that the listeners are going to be thinking about. So, Michael, excited to to have you to talk about your experience there. Thrilled to be here. Pretty excited. I get to kind of I guess announce a little bit of a stealthiness here of actually taken the plunge and joined a, a stealth startup as a CTO. Excited to be able to announce that when it when it comes up. But really, as you said, a lot of stuff around APIs. So there's more to come. We're in the investment space. And my background is in, in APIs. And I've been building products and, and working as consultants to build platforms for different organizations. And over the course of my career, I've uh, kind of learned a thing or two. And, and a lot like Adam, I... I try to help companies build API platforms. Great. And congrats on the yeah, for on sure. The, on the move. Thank you. Hopefully it works out. <laughs> Very cool. So looking through your experience, it seems like you've gone at it from a, a few different scales. I know like Cap One program is a big one, having been at PayPal before and pretty close to some of the folks there. It's a huge deal, but have you worked on kind of smaller stuff as well? Yeah, so I've, I've really run the gamut from, from really small organizations, 10, 12 people, all the way up through working at like Capital One. It's a different problem at each one of those scales. For sure. So I love meeting people who've kind of been big, been small. What do you think is like the true things, regardless of scale, when it comes to like designing great APIs and building powerful platforms? Ooh, Wow. I start with the easy stuff. Yeah, really. Just uh, <laughs> give me a softball there. The true thing, regardless, <laughs> design for your consumer. Consumer focus and outside-in is probably the single... Uh, I'd say there's two truths that are that are true regardless of scale. You need to design from the outside-in for your consumer. And you need to respect the laws of physics and design appropriately to be able to, to handle all of that complexity when when you inevitably run into it. And consumer in this context, I presume you mean whoever's going to be using the API as opposed to like sort of a retail consumer per se, right? Well, it depends, I guess, if, you're, if your API is your product. Could be both. I am a hypermedia evangelist, so someday I hope that to be more or less the same thing. But I guess my point is if you're working in a B2B space where there is no traditional consumer, these are still applicable concepts is like, talk to who's going to use the thing and design from their perspective. Exactly. Yep. Definitely a consistent theme with our guests on the show. And I've, I've noticed you've mentioned the Conway's Law references in some of your social media blog kind of stuff as well, which I think goes in line with that kind of outside in thinking, right? Yep. 
the scale and the organization structure plays really interesting dynamics when you start looking at the products that come out the other side from your APIs going from a small organization to a big organization. You can kind of start to see it painting itself in the output. What are some some ways that listeners can can sort of, if they haven't already identified maybe some of these showing up in their own organizations, would that be particular APIs or endpoints that clearly are for specific departments? What's how does that how does that sort of show up when when done incorrectly? That's a great point. Well, APIs really are that that abstraction layer. I have a couple of metaphors that I try and describe from a design perspective. I say that. APIs are the digital representation of your business. Doesn't matter if it's a human process or a digital process, they really should be the same kind of thing from a design perspective. And so if you start leaking out implementation details, like accidentally saying that this is an S3 bucket, not just a generic object storage platform, those kind of things, you start showing off the, those kind of implementation inner details of the, the implementation, your organization, your org chart, that's a pretty common one. You can start to see enough of, of these platforms. You you start being able to almost piece together the org chart, add Conway's law to it, and you can kind of say, okay, well, here's the head of this department. Here's the head of that department. And uh, this is why they don't talk because they both have mutually incompatible contacts or some other widget in their API resources. And you're like, oh, yeah, they didn't talk to each other. Interesting thing in your recent social media, and I think somewhat in reference to this, this idea of like, how do you create this, this kind of, you know, the catalog of all the things, right? How do you take stock and kind of steer an organization's API design into being something that's customer centric or whatever? And you had this, this notion that the catalog of APIs is not as relevant as the affordances. So it's a, that's a different one. I haven't heard that before. Still working on it, still kind of piecing it together. I think the the tweets that you're kind of referring to are, are part of uh, testing out to, to see and, and explore this notion myself. But one of the things that's really common when you get to Capital One scale or Vanguard scale, where I was previous, you start to run into a lot of different capabilities in your system. Um, and depending upon how the organizational maturity is of different groups and such, you may have services and, and APIs kind of coming together and becoming very close to synonymous. And, and you start to get this, this notion that your, your API catalog is almost your service catalog. And then you get the same, it's almost a reincarnation of the problem that, that API, HTTP APIs in general were kind of formulated to, to combat was this, you know, high coupled service to service, I need to know your implementation details, kind of RPC paradigm and REST's idea is to kind of decouple that. And it kind of creeps back in when you get to high enough count, you start to get redundancy, incompatibilities, all these things start to creep back in. And a lot of it has to do with the way that API design is, is talked about. You say API design, probably nine out of 10 people, maybe more will say, oh, okay, this is about URLs. Or, or you know, if, if they're really good, URLs and an HTTP method. But in this case, it's really something much more than that. Semantically is, is the interesting part, right? From a consumer perspective, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? If I'm trying to add a contact, does it matter if I'm trying to add a contact to a user profile or an organization? Really, it really is the same kind of capability. That's really the affordance. The 
the URLs and the, the target resource is really just a part of that that whole picture. It's not the whole thing. And so that's the kind of notion that I'm that I'm looking through right now is to try and figure out what's the real appropriate abstraction to talk about design from. So it, see if I can help decode for listeners a bit, because I think there's some pretty heady stuff <laughs> in there. Sure. First of all, the notion of, of affordance, I have to presume that you're taking this somewhat from Amundsen's perspective on kind of linking and the design affordance, meaning you kind of get something for free when you do something else, more or less. Similar. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. You say it better than I would, I'm sure. I should have defined it before I used it. You're correct here. That's right. I would say what I refer to in affordance to kind of help people understand the abstract concept is, is it's a potential capability. And it's a potential capability out of any particular context. Like I said before, a user profile can have the affordance, but so can an organization, right? Just making something up. And the affordance of out of context isn't defined because it's in one of or both of those contexts, right? It's, it's, a, it's a potential capability that is exists and it is something that you can do, right? It, it's a potential capability, some action you can take devoid of and, and absent from that resource itself that you're talking about. Right. So I guess in some simpler terms, the contact is a reusable notion amongst a variety of other kind of use cases or kind of resources. And beyond reusability, I think you're also addressing to some extent the innate kind of bounded context that that implies underneath that API, that you could have a big catalog of contacts that are used in a variety of different contexts, but build it essentially stored one way, one place that's decoupled from everything else. And I know implementation is supposed to be part of API design, but I, I think I'm <laughs> trying to kind of maybe tease along like why, why is that so important? That's actually kind of one of the things that, that is there. And it's less about an actual concrete thing. There's, you'll have, you know, static API documentation, which will kind of make this thing a more concrete thing. And you'll say this, you, this is the user contacts, you know, collection, and this is the the organization context collection. The the out of context is is really well, you touched on bounded context. So let's kind of go at we'll go at that. So that's from domain-driven design, that kind of concept of bucketing from a group's perspective or shared perspective of a of a particular thing. In a lot of places that's used as the context of the resource itself. When I'm looking at it here, what I'm what I'm saying is I'm creating really the domain language of capabilities and entities that exist in the system. And you can bind a capability to an entity, but the capability kind of exists separate on its own. And that's the, really the affordance. Now you're speaking my language. I think the notion, and Adam, we've heard this before, that that there's this idea that there's kind of a language that's pervasive across a platform that if you don't have that part nailed down, then you can't talk about anything else or how they relate. Yeah. And it makes me think certainly of you have a contact model, but this is like a layer up from that, like a model, like a schema. And this is kind of the interactions that can happen with that yeah. model or schema, right? Is yeah, that that's exactly right. So it's really about teasing out that that in a more defined, explicit sense compared to to the more kind of in the weeds, data-centric approach that that a lot of people take to APIs. And the notion really shouldn't shouldn't really be foreign to anybody. If you if you take any developer who's, who's used in integration and, and consumed some APIs, 
they're going to have, you know, gone in and said, figure out, well, how am I going to update? How am I going to add a nickname? How am I going to update a nickname? How am I going to add a contact? How am I going to update that? Right. And they're going to go in and they're going to find within this giant model and manage the individual field level changes that need to get done to make that semantic action happen. And what this is is about is just starting to actually just naming, bringing that up one level, getting it out of the weeds of the data, out of the fields and, and start making it so that your language is consistent across the board so that you can reuse that knowledge of capabilities across larger and larger contexts in your organization. API designer can mean a million things, right? I mean, some that's usually like a part-time thing in some sense, but in whatever capacity someone's designing that in their toolbox, that sort of like a, like, how do you keep track of that vocabulary or grammar or, you know, however you want to kind of term it, these words that, that carry meaning? However, the organization is most capable of doing it. So I've done, I've done it a few different ways. The initial approaches that I've used, you refer to Mike Amundsen, was to use ALPS, was to kind of define devoid and, and absent of HTTP semantics entirely, was to define the vocabulary in ALPS. And that was a great way to kind of do it. Then I worked with some organizations where that wasn't there, and I started working on unique custom ways to kind of do it very specifically. And there's a, a, a bit of a labor of love that I'm working on, and I call it happy, although that apparently is a JavaScript library. And it's really about hypermedia APIs from a generic sense, and that has a vocabulary specific media type associated with it. And most recently, something I'm maybe working on a, a, a talk for uh, at uh, API Specs if, if I get submitted and accepted about using Open API to define the affordances, a collection of, of different Open API documents to define the affordances, kind of leaving path at just slash so that it really just kind of is just leveraging the, the existing tool chain to not confuse, but meaning developers as close as they can be. Use a variety of different way tools to kind of describe it, but the end of the day, these sessions, I try to steal from as many good ideas as I possibly can. So heavily influenced by domain-driven design and event, event storming, I actually will run these sessions and, and really I just, I get people together and I say, well, what is this thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. first off, what's a contact? Like, let's just define it. You know, what's this capability? Let's just literally create a vocabulary, right? Like before we start talking about the really complicated stuff, like because this is the foundation that we're all saying these words. And if we don't agree what these mean, all that stuff's just gonna be painful and we're just gonna be circling around each other and talking past each other. I feel like more and more these days with so many companies built through acquisitions over the years, that is exceptionally painful. I think I've told the story on here before with other guests that when I was at Expedia Group, you take a word like itinerary you know, across different types of travel, whether that be in a car or a train or a plane or, and across these different platforms that all came together under one umbrella, like that word mm -hmm. had no meaning. Or had all meaning. <laughs> right. It, it did not have one consistent meaning. So, I mean, there's, and there was, you know, 50 cases like that. So I, I couldn't agree more. I'm super intrigued by this notion of using open API as a way to keep track of those things. And I don't want to like spoil your uh, talk proposal here, but I'm impatient. Uh, is there any like example you've seen of this done before? Is this a, just something you're experimenting with? Well, it's, uh, there aren't going to be any publicly available versions or, or examples of this, but in the last couple of organizations, 
that I've been working with. It's just something that that I've been working with internally with with developer teams to kind of tease out these kind of capabilities. And there's a lot of a lot of really good reasons as to why it's important to do it this way. But the the biggest thing is is that you got to meet developers where they are and where their tooling is, because they're not gonna they're not gonna start from scratch and go to this entirely new process. So I guess I'm maturing and and coming off my ivory tower, you know, maybe ivory step maybe, and just kind of bringing bringing the the the, the solution to to where developers are. And fundamentally, it's about using open API documents and those kind of tooling to get serializations and such, and vendor media types or different media types defined semantically, uh, extension types, to be able to name your messages. And it's absolutely critical to be able to name your messages because URL is not the whole picture. And a lot of places, that's really where people try and pigeonhole all your design space. And that causes all kinds of problems. Uh, and this is about kind of really using open API documents to define those messages, to be able to define really the, you know, is this a post? Is this a, a patch put? What, what do we got here? What's this message look like? What's the type? Where are the, what are the fields? What's optional? What kind of queries could you be looking at from this perspective? And then just overlaying that with just media types on a, a root API just the same way in you know open API three just these are all the media types you could get at this endpoint so you define them in these individual documents and you kind of set the range of affordances on the uh, the high level home document almost if you will you know I suppose on this topic of kind of unifying vocabulary so to speak tends to make a big difference when it's time to explain you know in some kind of documentation or portal as well you know curious with a lot of this kind of media types and affordance link stuff, like, you know, have you seen examples of where that's kind of done well in documenting it? Because I feel like a lot of hypermedia approaches have struggled on documentation beyond the self-obviating notions, you know, in the responses and stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a hypermedia enthusiast, but I think I bet I'm a bit counter to some of the norms of, of people who would call themselves those. There, there's a notion in, in the hypermedia world that you can discover everything and you can just follow your nose for forever and you'll eventually find everything. Well, the problem is, is that I don't have infinite time or infinite patience to be able to get to that. To be able to use a system, you need a, a range, right? You need to have a defined vocabulary. That really is the whole point. So the hypermedia, you need to have that defined range. And so I find that this is kind of this, this halfway point between kind of these two camps who are, you know, vehemently owning their position. You, you don't need hypermedia or you can only do hypermedia. It's just fine, just document the hypermedia and give them static docs for, for whatever is in your system. It doesn't have to be, you know, the people who want to take advantage of the fact that they don't need to code for anything can. The, the people who don't just generate and whatever, you're fine. And I think that that's kind of the spirit of, of why I want to use OpenAPI to kind of do this is because it bridges. You, you get both audiences, you get the ability to kind of meet them where they are, where they want, and you can start nudging them in, in the, the right direction to get things done. <laughs> Yeah, it's been neat to see since the uh, you know Linux Foundation took over the Swagger thing and kind of became Open API Initiative. I was on that kind of initial group to see like it's become the lingua franca of lingua francas of you know like describing the HTTP interactions that you know I don't think everybody loves it, but it's definitely becoming something pretty portable in a lot of places. That's a good starting point versus you know something more bespoke. Yep. 
you get as much out of it as you put into it. Well, I think now that we've established some of the, the concepts that you're laying out, and, and I, I like your pragmatism there at the end that, you know, the, the middle solution is probably the best one. And I tend to be in the same camp is like when, you know, I'm thinking about what are the things that I go find to learn about. Your original point was, you know, maybe it shouldn't be a bunch of endpoints. And, and you described it as affordances, but like in our example before, would that be the contact? Would that be the user? Would that be, you know, these base concepts and then learning how they link together as a kind of an outcome of, of learning those things? It's a bit of sleight of hand. So when you when you start with these these languages, as a concept, actually what you get is is that communicating with an API using hypermedia is really no different than than having a conversation. My first ever venture into into public speaking was a talk about human design and, and human speaking computer systems. And if you can define the the language, then humans and machines can use the same language. If you have to interpret it as a human, the machine can't use it. You'd have to try and code your your language into it. So this is really the the meeting ground where you define your let's just kind of say your, your nouns and verbs, you define your language. It's limited, right? But it actually gives you enough to say, you know, this, this thing has this capability, right? And then the, the final piece is like, is uh, something like an open API document where it says, and you, you do it in this context, right? Like, so it's, it's, you have these design time concepts, right? Where a thing and a capability, right? And then you say, and this is where you exercise it, right? Like this is where you like tie it to the real world, something that can be executed. Was that RestFest by chance? I was just Googling Rest while you were talking. RestFest uh, 2017, um, it was in Portland. Adam, you were actually one, gave the keynote that. Okay, that would have been API Strat. API yeah. Strat. Strat yeah. is the word that yeah. wouldn't come to mind, yes. Yeah, the perennial favorite, which I guess now is API specs, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to one of my common refrains on the show here as well and go like, you know, somebody just really getting into building APIs and all this stuff, just spent 20 minutes hearing us go through all this heady stuff. Like, how do I get started? How do I take all that and make it practical? And like, I'm coming up with the list of stuff I'm gonna build. What should I be starting with? What should I be showing the people around the company or my customers? Uh, what should they see? Well, I, I don't think you're intentionally plugging this, but you know, some tool like Stoplight Studio, some tool like that where you can keep yourself out of the weeds of the API. For a developer who's getting into this, I learned this lesson because I'm stubborn and it's a particularly hard-headed, but stay out of the details of the code, stay out of the details of the system. What you're trying to do is build a way that two things can talk to each other. So first start defining your concepts, what things and what capabilities are. I gave a talk at, at RestFest uh, last year. I mean, time doesn't exist. And it, it's basically just API design in three steps. And I go through, it, it's three simple questions that you want to do. You want to answer what thing you want to answer. What are you trying to accomplish? And, and whose responsibility is it to, to, to do that within that system? Those three questions, keep asking you know, more specific versions of those questions will we'll get you it. But you need to start with that that language, that that set of things and set of capabilities. And it's remarkable how many problems that you'll find you have three, four, five different solutions for the same thing. And that will save you so much time and it will get you started so fast or to just have a good idea of the 
the range of stuff you're talking about in the first place. And for the record, yes, I am CTO at Stoplight. Yes, the show's brought to you by Stoplight. But I think that's the <laughs> first time we've had anyone like call me out for trying to implicitly plug it. And I wasn't. Well, not calling you out. I'm giving you a free one <laughs> on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely what we do. But uh, we do the show because I love geeking out on this stuff. So I wonder along those lines of the someone getting started, if we can go back a little bit to that idea of API catalog or service catalog not being the fit, what is the, like, I'm, I'm even wondering, is it someone who's going to consume an internal API that uses the affordance catalog, or is it the teams that are going to build additional APIs and want to do it in a way that is consistent so they're not creating these new ways to use contacts or, or whatever the objects are? Everybody's using that that affordance catalog. And I think that, that that's kind of the key to it, really. It's the language. So in that tweet, I kind of called it the, the affordance catalog, really, but it's it's a language, right? So it's it's really just the the nouns and verbs. Everybody's using that language. If if something that you're trying to accomplish doesn't exist there, and it's something that really is, I guess from a domain-driven design perspective, semantically relevant or has has meaning, then make a word up for it. Like because somebody else is probably going to need to do that too. And if you can, if you can be explicit about it, right, then you can be repeatable about it. Then you can not waste time having the same design conversation and, and worse, come up with a different answer in the future, right? And start getting divergence of design across the board. Just define it and then use it, right? And it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be like this arduous process. Just make it up a word that that, that meaning is. And then when you need to do that, use that everywhere. Uh definitely help help people invent a lot of words in my time. And what's funny is I think your use of the word affordance would be in line with what I would usually just refer to as capabilities. And I'm curious, have you ever looked at using like business capability modeling instead of like a DDD or event storming as kind of a method to find those things? Yes. And I, I actually invented a, a facsimile of it at one point without ever having read it. And then somebody's like, oh, you like that? And they're like, oh, yeah, what's that? <laughs> so here, go read that. Like, oh, no, I just figured that this kind of made some sense. But yeah, those kind of things, I like I said, I like to steal from everybody's good ideas. And I think that, that some of the structure in domain-driven design kind of it has the wrong incentives and it kind of incents the wrong kind of parts of design in some ways. And so that business capability, that's that's strongly tied to it from a domain-driven design perspective. It's really about being centered around like what happens in the business, regardless of it being a process, a human process, a digital process, dependent on some external thing, anything. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, the way you described it earlier, set the right people down, what's the thing, what do you call it and what does it do? Label the, the process whatever you want, but that's what it tends to boil down to. And not getting caught up in, I, for me anyways, the DDD thing is always like, if you get someone who's like, this isn't proper DDD, it's like, you know, frankly, you know, no offense, but it's like, you know, it's not proper hypermedia, it's not proper rest. Like, you can get into those I ideological debates, but if you can have the simple fundamental of what are the things that we do and how do customers talk about it, it makes a huge difference. Seems so simple, right? It really does. So easy. Why didn't everybody do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Famous last words. It's um, very simple to to make those statements. Very hard to kind of maintain the discipline to kind of do it. But um, I'm one of those ones who probably will shade a little closer to this is improper rest, not because I don't want you to do whatever it is you're trying to do, but because there's a 
there's a very awesome capability that comes with REST when you start including hypermedia that doesn't exist, when you do CRUD or any other facsimile of non-REST, you know, HTTP APIs. And it's that you invert the control. You, you completely invert the control of the interaction in the entire conversation. When you are building HTTP APIs without hypermedia, at the end of the day, the, the, the server is in control, but has to trust and then do a lot of work to validate and expose the capabilities of what somebody as a consumer of that service wants to do. And, and that's really a lot of waiting on the developers to kind of support the capabilities that you want or, and such. And if you define your capabilities ahead of time, right, instead of having to find out, does this, I don't know, let's say a rocket, right? So we have a resource that's representing a rocket for, I'm a space nerd, so that's fine. And it has the capability to lift off. Well, if I'm, I'm going at this from a data perspective, I have to figure out what you mean, right? In order to look at the data to figure out what are the key elements to be able to define whether this rocket has the ability to lift off, right? Is it going to be successful or not? And I have to kind of emulate your implementation internally. But when you add hypermedia, it flips that entire relationship on its head and it says, oh, well, you just sent me the link that says it can lift off. It has the, the affordance, the capability to lift off the potential because you sent me it. I know at least when you sent it, it had that capability. So I can just do it. So it just it allows you to, to just completely invert that control of the relationship and the responsibility. Uh, you internalize it in servers. So that's one of those things that I'm that I'm kind of a staunch advocate for is because a lot of people will decry and, and say, well, REST is bad or GraphQL forever or gRPC or whatever their preferred tool is. And they'll use these other examples of, of things that don't have that hypermedia involved in it. Uh, but when you really, you flip that on its head, the difficulty of working with REST APIs really just, it just goes down. You know, it's it's moments like this where, do you remember those videos going around for a while? I think they were like RSA or something where they would have like the illustrator drawing the metaphorical thing someone's talking about as they're talking. I feel like listeners, if we have anyone that's a talented il illustrator who likes APIs, <laughs> draw the rocket ship taking off and <laughs> that interaction you were describing. That's great. Maybe you'll have to use that in a talk then too. Yeah, totally. You need to like do the little scratchy drawing animated thing. Adam, I, I'm curious, you know, when it comes time to like take an API to market and you have the assets, you know, as described here, that like a strong notion of what those words mean and all that kind of stuff. Like, how does that change kind of the the marketing, the externalization picture of these things? I mean, or have you ever seen it? <laughs> no, a lot of a lot of that describes the work that you have to do to be able to to market something technically. It's not here are its endpoints, it's what are you going to actually accomplish with this? And so identifying those use cases is a huge part of the work that I do with, with companies. And if there was a way to be able to have that already as part of every API, I mean, I think we would be in a much better place. And maybe that kind of gets, Michael, to, I know you've talked sort of, you talked earlier about this sort of APIs that humans can use or anyone anyone can use i mean is that sort of part of that larger vision is that then it you know yeah you don't need the this layer of marketer but also this layer of developer translation i mean really that marketer layer that i talk about is actually that translation to say hey developer this thing that sure you can look at the nuts and bolts of here's the sort of 
usage of it, right? Is that, is that sort of the promise that's, that some of that is just already there without translation? That's the hope. That's the hope. I have a lofty goal and mission to be able to add at least uh, an order of magnitude, a more inclusive audience for this initiative, this happy work that I'm on. And the goal really is to just lower the bar of you know technical requirements necessary to do it. Because at the end of the day, knowing enough of the business should be enough how to work and interact with the digital systems. And if we're careful in how we define our words, uh, it shouldn't matter if it's a human agent or a computer agent at the end of it. And I think so much of what you said is about really like translation and telling a story of what you can do with that stuff, right? And that's and, and what you do is you you're you're describing is you're composing from resources, properties, methods, and such, right? What's an actual thing that you're trying to accomplish? What thing can get done in the real world? What are you trying? What's the impact that this can have? You're telling a story about you know changing this byte and this flag and and doing all this stuff. But at the end of the day, what people really care about, developers who are trying to do it, is they just want to they want to send an email, they want to make a rocket lift off, they want to do all these things, and and those are the things that that get people to buy the the product. It has these capabilities that I need, right? It's not that it has these fields, right? Like that doesn't motivate people to buy anything, at least not that I've seen. And it's really about kind of internalizing that story and moving it moving it closer to developers or moving the developers of of that. And, closer to the language of the businesses, right? So that you're you're defining things closer and closer to the same, the ubiquitous language, right? And if, if, if you can offer that, I think, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Maybe you can get rid of some of the extra work and, and instead, you know, sell farther, higher value things, you know, farther up the value chain. And that just makes us all better. There is this idealistic, you know, and I'm say, not saying that in this disparaging way, but that, you know, if we can get enough of the design right, its usage is obvious enough, right? It's like a basic design principle is, you know, don't make me think, right? I do think there's a storytelling layer to it, you know, so it's like when people go, well, I have complete API reference, why don't you get it? And even if it's beautifully and thoughtfully designed in customer-centric language with all the great things, it's like there's a story of what you intended it to be used for that has to still be told somewhere. And I, I do think, Michael, that you're, you're, this notion of, you know, almost the sort of customer tribal language has to exist to tell the story very well. Uh, otherwise, we may be saying things using terms that they don't understand. Yeah. Or that we make up, you know, we, we use, use the wrong thing and then have to go on a tangent to explain a concept. And I, I know, Adam, you've kind of gone on this thing before. Yeah, it's a very interesting dilemma. We want to design things. We want to go in and say, yeah, if we design things well enough, you know, it can be perfect if the design is perfect. There's a notion in there. I think it's kind of implied that that we have the the design language that's appropriate enough to describe the problem that we're trying to describe and go through. And and I think that because of kind of how Adam you described this, if there's a responsibility, extremely valuable responsibility of somebody to take technical stuff and tell a story to another technical person to kind of say what you can do with this, right? We don't have that appropriate level of design discussion or capabilities or or language to be able to say, hey, these are the things that you need to be worrying about. So we're not talking about the design in a, the right way. 
so much value is, is still trapped in there. Need someone like you to really come and bring that that story, kind of just whittle it out and then now tell it to people to be able to kind of express that value and be able to share. People can share, tell a story. So if you get closer to that story, less work that has to be done to kind of tell that story. Now there's tons of other value chains higher up that you can be telling the story for, connecting those dots together. So for listeners thinking of their organizations, who can they go to, do you think? Likely the listeners are more technical people. Who, who can they go to in their organization to help tell that story? So the first thing I like to try and do is really to come, I kind of hinted at it before from an outside-in perspective, and I like to gather the people who know the stuff, and I try to keep about a 70-30 ratio of non-technical to technical folks in these rooms. Technical folks, we tend to kind of fill the space if nobody's kind of talking and we'll, we'll add stuff. And if people are, are thinking that this is a tech conversation and they're feeling like out of place and it's not super safe, they're not going to contribute. So I try to keep the the tech folks a little outnumbered to keep everybody else feeling safe in the room and just gather these people up and, and just start having a conversation about what the language is. You know, over the course of a week, one of my engagements as a consultant, we went from an organization didn't really recognize and see the potential that they had across their platform to seeing that they had four redundant and almost identical, except for the way that the, the things were represented, the resources were represented. They had four identical stacks, right? Like of, of like in this manufacturing pipeline of here's the you know, pre, here's the manufacturing, here's the sales, and here's the operations. And it was like just repeats of it. Just have the conversations with people across the organization and, and just something as simple as defining words and defining those capabilities. And you'll start to have really powerful conversations, which can drive these API design stuff, these initiatives really far with a lot of value. You know, what I hope for with some of the topics like this is that we end up with folks who aren't maybe as technical listening in to realize that this process of designing, I think it's not just API design, it's designing platforms is very much an all hands on deck kind of exercise. And if it's treated as just a technical implementation detail, that's kind of when things go sideways. So I, I love that perspective, Michael, of, you know, including more, you know, kind of customer facing type people in the room to kind of keep it honest. So we don't end up making assumptions about how it's implemented today. Because to some extent, we're describing what we want the future to be, right? You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. I love, I love everything you said there. You don't want to be mired in what exists now, right? Because you, you are, you're already there. You want to talk about the future, the vision. You implement those with, with you implement your API, your your languages with services and, and products. And ideally, if, if you can plug and play one that doesn't work, you can do something else, right? But you're really talking about a language and a contract. So you want that contract to be what you want. Right. Like you don't want to settle with the contract, right? Figure out how to make the implementation meet the language, right? Don't try and figure out how to make a, a language that meets your implementation. Do you find that sometimes when you you kind of come up with this, you know, this is the the grand vision for the future of what we want things to look like in this abstract, you know, catalog of terms and an API that doesn't really exist yet, written in spec, that you get that there's sort of pushback from the engineering side that, you know, this is too far, this is, you know too far from our current reality? Generally, getting it to a spec level would be a very ambitious thing. Uh, usually it ends up being something like on a whiteboard here, just a list of words and, and then capabilities. And then, you know, 
if we're lucky, then a, just a list with affordances that are that are bound to capabilities. It's usually actually more difficult to get the technical folks to kind of buy in that that the words and coming up with this language has value and and meaning because it's not code. Uh, so that's usually the more difficult kind of process is getting the the technical folks to to not ruin the mojo and kind of say, oh, well, this isn't getting anywhere. I don't have any idea what this architecture should look like. I have no idea what my microservices are, you know, just all these things that they'll that they'll bring into play here. That, that's usually the hard part is to get in the technical folks there. Once the, the room gels, though, then it's really all about defining these words. And you get these awesome conversations about your example with the itinerary. Like that was that was just spot on. Right. You know, there's there's so many definitions. Right. That that there is no definition. Right. It's just it, it means everything to everyone. And how is that helpful? Right. It's not. So let's just come up with one that we agree on and we'll all use it. And eventually we'll, we'll be able to support that or we'll figure out how to get there. But it's a shared goal, a shared vision. That's the magic. Yeah. And by the way, that that whole thing did lead to great discussions that I probably shouldn't say too much about. But I'll just say like new words, new concepts and new places. It's like sometimes the the word can be like uh, somebody described it once as uh, like the field of dry bones, right? Like it's got a history to it. It's the place that you don't want to return to, right? Something where something bad happened once. We don't go there anymore. And when you just kind of go, I get it. That's what it used to mean. And sometimes you can make it over the hump and go, this is what it means now. But a lot of times you really need a new construct, a new term to kind of contain the thing. And sometimes just changing the language can change the whole discussion and give a new place to kind of breathe life into it. I too find wonder in those moments. <laughs> well, that feels like a great closing point to me. I guess, uh, Michael, any other kind of parting thoughts you want to leave us with? We touched on so much stuff. I think there's a lot of questions that were for for kind of the, the intro or beginner developers. And let's go one further and say, hopefully we have an audience that's uh, that's really just more in the business and product side of the or, or the field and say, don't be daunted by the the technical details and the specifications i can spout rfcs to you all day but at the end of the day what really delivers value is about understanding understanding the concepts and the capabilities that you're trying to offer being consistent with those capabilities across your platform across your design for your your entire platform and any amount of effort that you you spend to consolidating that to a consistent language that's capable of understanding everybody's context and the needs uh, of their their use of those things will will pay in dividends it may feel like it's not worth it but it it will save years of, of work down the line and so spend time on defining the things that you want to have and the things you want to do first before you worry about what it looks like on HTTP or even opening up a spec document well said. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. I really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to hear more about what you got going on next. Adam, any, uh, any parting words from you? I'm inspired by the idea that it doesn't have to, what feels like a large project doesn't have to be that big if you get the right people in the room having the conversation. And so that's, I think, my my big takeaway here. Where can people find you? Do we do that? Mostly on Twitter. Mostly talking about APIs. I have a blog, michaelhybay.com, 
or blog at michaelhighway.com. Yeah, something like that. You'll get me on Twitter <laughs> at highbaymj. And we'll we'll have links to that. So uh, we'll all go listen to your rants on uh, on hypermedia and bounded contexts and everything else. That's the perfect word for them. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.